Appreciate all the music tonight. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate your pastor uh, giving me this opportunity. Brother Jake has been a friend of ours uh, for some time now. Of course, he and our son Jonathan have been uh, good friends much longer and uh, appreciate this church. Appreciate what God is doing here. I follow your pastor and this church on Facebook. I continue to see the updates and God's blessings uh, in this uh, ministry. I know that he just celebrated seven years as your pastor this past weekend. And man, the Lord has really had his hand on this work. And I'm excited to see that. As mentioned, I, I've pastored 40 years. I've uh, been married 43 years to my high school sweetheart, and I brought her with me tonight. She usually travels. Miss Peggy, would you stand up and let them see the best part of my life right here, uh, Miss Peggy. I, uh, she and I were high school sweethearts. I had no desire to be the, the valedictorian of my high school class, but the desire was to marry the valedictorian of my class, and I did, and uh, we've been together uh, for 43 years now, soon be 44 years. She wanted to be a June bride. We'd been dating three years. I said, that's good for me. June 1st sounds like a good time uh, to get married. And so on June 1st, 1979, is that right? Uh, we, we were married, and the Lord has been good to us. I'm now working along with my son, Jonathan. What a privilege. After 40 years of Miss Peggy and I faithfully doing our best to serve the Lord as a pastor's family at this stage in our life for God to let us uh, work with our children is just the greatest honor, I want you to know, is the greatest honor that I could ever receive as God's servant. And I'm so thankful for that. Appreciate again the opportunity to be here. I know I have a time limit, so I need to get going. Genesis chapter 2 is where I want to jump off. If you'll take your Bibles and turn there, and then Ephesians chapter 5 will be there in just a moment uh, if you'll want to mark that, and we'll move along as quickly as possible. One of the things I have to restrain myself in is telling stories because if I tell stories, we won't get this outline your handout uh, covered And so I'm going to do my best to stick with my message tonight. My message, and I know, I believe uh, Pastor Jake told me that he kicked this thing off by being in Genesis, and I don't want to repeat anything that he's done. Of course, at the end of this series, uh, if you're the last preacher, you're just about going to say something that someone in front of you has already said, but I hope I give you a fresh perspective of what God's Word is teaching us here in this passage. My message is the purpose of marriage. You see, and we're going to look at the text, so leave it there. Uh, God established marriage, as we see here in Genesis chapter 2, in the beginning of creation. And what you and I need to understand is that God has continued to give attention to the subject of marriage and the family unit throughout the scriptures. God still honors marriage with the same level of sanctity today as he did when he established it. You see, marriage was God's idea. That's why the world opposes it. Because we oppose the world, the society in which we live, 
opposes most anything that God created. And so besides Adam's fellowship with God, which we would think would be enough, Adam was incomplete because there was no one like him as a companion whom he could connect with and whom would compliment him in fulfilling the things that God had given him to do. And I need you to understand that. Your spouse is God's gift to you to help complete you for the, for the person that God created you to do. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it. So Adam had a job to do. Verse 19 and verse 20, And out of the ground of the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam would call every living creature, that was the name thereof. Could you imagine that job? Can you imagine that job of naming every creature that God created. And in verse 20, and Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. There was no companionship. Are you with me? No one to complete Adam. No one in whom Adam could connect with. And so, verse 21 and verse 23, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. God performed surgery on Adam and, 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 and provided for Adam this companion who would complete Adam's life. Verse 22, and, and, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. What does that mean? Adam looked at her and went, whoa, man, woman. The rest of you will get it when you get home. Why? Because she was taken from man. Adam had never seen anything like Eve. Never. Think about it. All of God's creation, all of the creatures that Adam had uh, been acquainted with, everything that Adam had done up to this point in his existence, Adam had yet to lay eyes on anything as beautiful as what Eve was, and God had made her just for him. And I'm saying some things that I hope you'll get a hold of. This person that God has brought into your life, and I've preached this for years, is the person God made for you. And it ought to be something you cherish. Notice verse 24 and 25. It almost seems out of place, but I think it's a message for everyone who were to follow Adam and Eve. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And then, of course, they lived happily ever after, right? No way. Isn't it interesting? We look at the wedding photos, and they look like happy ever after. Do they not? Because we're set up for that. I mean, we pose for that. 
We get those idea pictures, you know, looking at the ring or somebody pushing cake in your face, and you just know right there's the problem. It's not going to start good. It starts out happy, doesn't it? The honeymoon period. But then selfishness, self uh, conceit begins to reveal itself, seduction from the serpent, sin enters into the relationship, causing shame. Now their fellowship with God is broken because everything began to fall apart for them. We could tell that story today, could we not? We thought it was going to be one big fairy tale. We thought it was just going to be one big, wonderful, harmonious experience. And then the honeymoon was over. And then the real person came out. The, the little things that annoy us. You know, just the differences. And then you end up in the pastor's office and you look at, at the pastor and one another and say, we're just different people. I love it when people tell me that. Because I'll look at him and say, duh, God created you to be different. And if you understand the differences that God created in you and the purpose of those differences was to bring about a completeness in that relationship. But what we've done is that we've allowed the differences to divide us rather than to unite us. And we need to really work on that part of our lives. In Genesis 3.16, And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. And I know your pastor no doubt pointed this out, what it really meant. You're going to struggle with his leadership and he's going to rule over you now listen to me and I put this on your notes what God created to be holy, healthy, happy and harmonious had become unholy and unhappy hard and heartbreaking and we see it again and again so there's a question and I think I put it on your notes if I didn't you ought to write it down what is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose? Well, you can come up with all kinds of answers. It depends on who you're talking to. Somebody might say, well, the purpose of marriage is companionship, a lifelong companion. Or somebody would say, well, the purpose of marriage is love. Or the purpose of marriage is, is uh, uh, attention and admiration, acceptance, support and security and maybe sex or, or, or whatever the case may be. What well, Do you know that the truth of the matter is that people who are not saved have those things in their life? Truth of the matter is people who live together out of wedlock have those things in their life. So those things within themselves are not the purpose of marriage. See, these things are true no matter where you, where you are in life. So what is God's purpose? i give you a biblical definition, I think, 
A biblical marriage is the blending of two lives in the deepest possible way into a, a new unit that meets the need of an individual and that serves the purpose of God at the highest level. I mentioned I married my high school sweetheart, and we've been married nearly 44 years. And uh, I'd like to get up here and tell you, Miss Peggy and I have never had any issues in our marriage. That would be a lie. That's why she's here. I can't lie. No. But we've had our struggles. I've, we've been in the ministry. We were married three years, and uh, I went into the ministry after that. She married a coal miner. I'm from West Virginia. I'm a hillbilly. Uh, I, I turned up this road. I look like home. I, I, uh, I, I am from the hills of West Virginia. I mean, uh, we came to North Carolina in 1988. Jonathan was five years old. Jared was just a few months old. Jesslyn hadn't even been thought of uh, at that time, and she became the later gift that God had given to us. And, 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 but I, I will tell you this that we've worked hard, not that we were perfect in the beginning because we were not, but we've worked hard at establishing the definition that I gave you in, 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 this, in this marriage, in this relationship that we have. And, and we've been married now almost 44 years, and we're still working on those things. There's a lot of things that we've uh, become successful in. There's some other things that we're striving to accomplish. There's some things that I'm, I'm sure that we're yet to experience as we continue to grow older in life. But with the help of God and with our focus where it ought to be, God's going to help us have a biblical marriage. You see, that definition that I just gave to you is found in the text that we took tonight from Genesis chapter 2. God's first desire for man, and I need you to get this, was an intimate, personal relationship with him. Did you hear me? God's first desire for man, for woman, is an intimate, personal relationship with him. Our spiritual relationship to God must be first and foremost. We were created by Him and for Him. I've said this to couples uh, for many, many years. Even in premarital counseling, I, I have reminded them that God did not create you to find a purpose. I've said this to young women and I've said this to young men. God did not create you to find purpose in a man. I said that to my daughter the whole time she was growing up in our home. God didn't create you to find purpose in a man. And I said to my boys, God didn't create you to find purpose in a woman. If God gives you a good husband, if God gives you a good wife, those are gifts from God. And you ought to enjoy them because God has brought that gift into your life. But God created you and God created me to find purpose in Him. You see, Adam had a relationship with God long before Eve ever came into the picture. God's answer to man's human need was a woman, a completer, a helpmeet, face-to-face companionship, oneness, and unity. Three quick points. What time is it? Where's that clock? There it is. All right. I do not want to want people coming after me. Uh, I fight, fight this same battle at Laurel. Oneness, spiritual 
oneness. So what do you mean, Pastor? The union that God designed for a man and a woman cannot be fulfilled without a spiritual commitment to God first. Please hear me. I think it's so important. I counsel on a regular basis. A lot of my ministry, I know some pastors don't enjoy counseling. It just seemed to be one of those things that God had had given me a desire for, a desire to develop in my own life, a, a desire to help other people uh, in the ministries where we were. But I am a firm believer that God designed us to find purpose in Him. And if we're going to have spiritual oneness in our marriage, then we first must have a spiritual commitment to God. In Genesis 2.22, the Lord God brought her unto the man. The Lord was at the center of that relationship. I, I think that's what, what you and I must make sure that we're doing in our marriages is that Christ is the center of our marriage. That, that everything in our marriage, everything in our home, everything in our life evolves around the center of our life and that is Jesus Christ. We must be willing to humble, become humble and be submissive to Christ. That's the foundation of our spiritual relationship with the Lord. Now listen, marriage in itself does not guarantee unity because we are different. God made Adam from the dust of the ground. He made Eve from the rib of Adam and they are two different people. Uh, they obviously didn't look the same. They obviously didn't have the same uh, human uh, 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 parts or emotions or, or, or whatever else. But, but there can be diversity and still be unity. There's a difference in personalities, but personality differences are not meant, again, to divide us. They're meant to strengthen our relationships. I was never going to be the valedictorian. I played ball. I didn't care about those things. I cared about other things. Miss Peggy has made up that difference in my life. She's, she's been my foundation. She's been my number one supporter. Ask her, unless she's lying to me, I've never preached a bad sermon for her. Because I ask her, I'll ask her tonight when we leave and get in the car and try to get out of here. I'll say how how you think it went tonight, and nine times out of ten, she'll either say you were a little hard, but good, or she'll just say I thought it was good. That's just my supporter. She's my encourager. She understands admiration. I I try to understand attention and acceptance, and she understands admiration. We see that again in this passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's it. It's interesting, isn't it? If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to get there in a minute. God begins to talk about our relationship to Him and to our spouse. And it begins, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Even in a Christian home, there's going to be struggles. 
And I want to tell you what, when you got two people who are trying to honor and please the Lord, you're going to find a whole lot more help uh, in that relationship than you would otherwise. Unity starts with God. Unity starts with God. Adam and Eve found their joy in purpose in God. The goal of marriage is oneness. You say, Pastor, how do we get there? It, it begins as we develop our relationship with God. So here's some questions. If you have room on that page to write some of these down, what is my walk with God like? Am I spending time with God in His Word? I get up every morning. I'm an early morning person. I get up early between 4, 4.35, somewhere in there's neighborhoods. I, I spend the first hour of my day in the Word of God. My wife will get up not long after that, and um, she's right beside of me, and she's in the Word of God. We read through the scriptures on a regular basis. We take it serious. We talk about it. We, we, we develop our life uh, to the Lord and to one another. So uh, what's my walk, my walk with God like? Number two, do I spend time with Him daily? Am I walking with Him? Am I fellowshipping with Him? Am I seeking to please God in my heart and in my life? Do I love Him more than I love myself? So what makes a Christian home? It's not what I take out of my home. You can get rid of all the bad stuff. I'd, I'd suggest it. <laughs> I think you can get rid of the of, of, of the. The alcohol, you can get rid of the drugs, you can get rid of the, the HBO and the sin to the max and all those other things. You can get rid of all that stuff out of your home, but that's not going to make it a Christian home. What's going to make it a Christian home? I put three references on your note. Colossians was one of them. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual, song, uh, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart unto the Lord. It's putting that in your home, putting your heart with God in your home, put, putting God's word in your home. In other words, putting, putting these things in your home is going to make your home a Christian home. It's more, listen to me, let me give you something. It's more than two people being Christians living in the same house. How many times have we heard someone make this prayer request? I think it's a good prayer request, but, but I think sometimes it's a little misguided. We, we say, pray for my spouse that they'll be saved, and, and when my spouse gets saved, we'll have a Christian home. Well, the truth of the matter is, you and your spouse both can be saved, but that doesn't mean that you've got a Christian home. It's kind of like saying, I, I went on a Christian cruise. I've yet to meet a ship that was a Christian. Amen? You mean there were Christians on the cruise? Well, we think they were. They said they were. We're not sure. Well, so what do, you, what do you, you say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? It's more than just two people in the same house professing to be Christians. It's more than just going to church together. I think it goes a little deeper than that. Those things are important. I'm not trying to minimize them at all. But it's spending time developing my walk with God. It's praying with my spouse 
and my children and our family. How many times do you and your spouse take hands, hold hands, look together, embrace one another, and pray and talk with God? If it's only when you eat, Lord, bless this food and thank you for the day. Amen. That's not a lot of praying together. I mean, I'm talking about spending time praying over the burden that your spouse is carrying, over the concerns or the anxieties or the troubles or the hardships or the heartaches or or the heartbreaks. It's encouraging one another uh, uh, in prayer, encouraging one another in the Word of God, conforming yourself into the image of Christ. Watch this one. Preferring one another. You say, well, Pastor, I do. I go to work every day. I provide a living for our family. There's more to it than that, bub. There's more to it. It's providing the the emotional, spiritual, physical, financial well-being of your spouse. It's preferring. Paul teaches us to prefer one another. I got less judgment, more acceptance, more kindness. You know, I've learned it just doesn't cost anything to be kind. Just be kind, sweet. Practice the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Nine, fruit, characteristic, virtue of the Spirit. Practice uh, Christ-like love, what we find in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through verse 7. Patience, kindness, endurance, long-suffering. Let your love, your, your relationship to God determine your, your attitude and action toward your spouse. Number two, uh, sincere love. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. Paul, Paul talks a little bit about um, uh, Genesis chapter 2 in this passage. But, but, but what is sincere love? I think it's Christ-like love, obviously. What did he teach his disciples? To love one another, how? As I have loved you. Say, Pastor, some people are just hard to love. I know. But you're capable of doing it because Romans teaches us that God has shed his love abroad in our hearts. You have the divine nature of God. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the love of God within you. You just need to exercise this love. For men, listen to me. It's sacrificial love. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. And I say to guys when I'm using this verse, tell me how much Jesus loved the church. And gave himself for it. When When you understand just how deep Christ loves the church, then me and you and I will understand how deep our love for our spouse, our wife, is to be. It's a sanctifying love. Verse 26 through verse 28, Christ takes the responsibility. And men, we're to take the responsibility. If my wife is unhappy, that's my responsibility. My responsibility is to find out why she's unhappy. If my wife is concerned or anxious, it's my responsibility to find out why. Isn't that who Christ is? 
There's a book we gave away at our marriage retreat this year called A Gospel-Centered Marriage. Chapter 5 of that book, the authors, was a husband and wife team. The husband was writing this section of the book, and he said, God never commanded, and I thought this, this is right around these passages. He said, God never commanded, or excuse me, yes, the husband is never told to command his wife to be beautiful. God never commanded the church to be beautiful. God made the church beautiful. You see, we have all these expectations of all these demands. I'll be happy if you do A, B, C. And the other one says, well, I'll be happy if you do one, two, three. If you just do one, I'll be happy. We got it all wrong. We just got it all wrong. If we're going to learn to love like Christ loved, then we're going to have to love with a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love. Thirdly, a securing love. Verse 29 and 30, it protects, it provides, it secures. A separated love. It quotes Genesis chapter 2. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. It's a spiritual love. It looks like the love that Christ, verse, verse 32, it looks like the love that Christ has for the church. It's a sacred love. Verse 33, because no one ever hurts his own self. In fact, Paul goes on to say, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. You begin to do a little Greek search on that. And, and what it means is to, to pay homage. It means to revere. It means, it means to say, oh, hell. Now, she might say that but not mean it like I just meant it. I understand. Jonathan told me to behave before I came. So we've talked about the men. What about the wife? Does the God tell the wife to love the husbands? It sure does. She's to make loving her husband a priority. Titus chapter 2. You guys put that on the screen. Is it already up there for us? Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. We'll read verse 4 and verse 5. Paul said that they, the older women, may teach the young women to be sober. Stop. Here's what it means. Godly and mature. If we ever need a class in our churches today, and I think we're missing this, maybe there's too much pride for somebody to sit under the, the, the teaching of another lady, a dear saint of God who's been around a while. But if there's ever a class that's needed in our churches today, it's the older women teaching the younger women. And they teach them to be sober, godly, mature, to love their husbands. It means continuously and unconditionally. To love their children. Verse 5, to be discreet, self-controlled, chaste, innocent, modest, perfect, chaste, clean, pure, keepers at home, good, Obedient. I was doing a wedding one time, and a little girl looked up at me. She said, do not put obedient in my wedding vows. I thought, I looked at him, and I thought, you got problems. That wasn't my idea. 
you know, your husband didn't pay God off to put that in there. That was God's idea. Hey, guys, she won't have a hard time being submissive to your leadership if you'll learn how to love her like Jesus loves her. To their own husbands that the word of God be not, this is a strong word, blasphemed, defamed, mocked, reviled to speak evil of. The third one, I got 10 minutes. Do I got 10 minutes? I got five minutes. Five minutes. I got my watch on me. I'm going to hit the highlights of the last point. Sexual purity. I told Matt I would behave. I wouldn't say anything I shouldn't say. Verse 24 of Genesis 2. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. It implies oneness in a spiritual and permanent union, but it also implies the, the, the sexual completeness of that relationship, one man, one woman. God created it for a man and a woman in marriage, in marriage. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable and all and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. It's not a subject that we deal with much in our churches and maybe the reason we're having so much conflict is because we're not dealing with this area that God gives much attention to. So in God's eyes, marriage is honorable. It may no longer be honorable in our society, but it's still honorable with God. In Proverbs 18, verse 22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. It was God's idea. I mean, sexual impurity is a sin against God. It's a sin against your spouse. It's a sin against yourself. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. It's, it's the Greek word pornea. This is the same word pornography, sexual sin. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It's there in the word of God. You say, well, if, if it's me, then I'm not hurting anybody but me. That's just not true. You're hurting those who love you. But more importantly, you're sinning against this temple that God has created for you. In that same chapter, verse 19 and 20, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So if I'm mistreating this temple that God has given me, then I'm sinning against God. I let me get to the last of this. Time just won't wait on me. It's a deep-rooted commitment. It's, it's the closest, most cherable, cherished companion in your life should be your spouse. Miss Peggy and I are what, we're in what you call the empty nest. Our three adult, our children are adults have children of their own. We have seven grandchildren whom we love. I just can't express it. It would be great if grandkids came along first. And I know that's an oxymoron. But we just love them. We love them when they come. We love them when they stay. We love it when they leave. 
We love it. I, we're good. I'm good with the empty nest. We were married three years before Jonathan showed up. I'm good with it. I like it. If I want to run around my boxers, it's my, my nest to run around in. Amen? I, I, I mean, I, I, I just, we're good. But you know what? When we were raising our children, we were involved in their lives. We were involved in their school. We were involved in their sports. We were involved in everything that they did. But we never stopped being involved with one another. And that's why we still hang out together now. I finish. A holy, happy, healthy, harmonious marriage is one that follows God's biblical design between a husband and a wife. Listen to me. It takes work. doesn't happen on its own. It's a choice that you make. You say, well, what if my spouse is not willing to put forth the effort? It starts with you. You say, Pastor, can one person make the change? One person can make the change. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 3. Each one of us are going to answer to God for how we fulfilled the requirements of our marriage. We must seek to be Christ-like. You, you can make the difference in your marriage. Father, thank you for this time. Help us, Lord, to hear your word and apply these great truths to our life. In Jesus' name. Pastor Bungenship, as you were speaking, something was coming to my mind, and you made the comment.